Hello, everyone. I'm Trent Luce. Welcome to another edition of Rural Route, the program where we gather every day at this time. Well, Jenny Swigert, we do it Monday through Friday. And what we do when we gather is continue to address the issues between rural and urban America. And because of 18 years of doing that every single day, Jenny, we've almost got them all solved. It's all good from here. Oh, okay. Well, then you don't need me. (laughs) (laughs) No, we need you to cause a few more, and then we'll go work on those and act like they were uh, providing the solution when, in fact, we're just posing problems. How have you been, Uh, Jenny Swagger, Tremont, Illinois? I am here. I'm I'm trying to make the best of a rocky situation. Um, The Crohn's disease has not um, been my friend lately. Um, so I'll just say I'm here. I'm trying to stay as positive as I possibly can. And I know, mm-hmm. um, other people like my friend, Sonia, who was on, gosh, that's been almost two years ago. She is still battling. She's in the hospital currently. Um, Crohn's is active, but it's not horrible. Um, but because she ended up with breast cancer, She's still kind of fighting some of those steps and has an infection. So I have a great support system. I have to tell you that uh, prior to you coming and being a champion for people who are battling Crohn's, I would hear about (laughs) Crohn's once in a while, but, you know, because it didn't affect me or anybody in my family directly, I just, you know, you hear it and you just let it roll off. Now, because... You have been so wonderful at sharing the challenges and how common it is and how how um, how much of a challenge in a lifestyle-altering event that it is. I hear everybody who talks about it. I hear every designation about somebody with Crohn's, and that's because you're willing to come forward and say, hey, here's the real problem. And for the longest time, I wouldn't because I don't want sympathy, first of all, mm-hmm. because this is just part of life. Everybody has a struggle in life. This just happens to be mine. But second, you know, there's just so much that goes on. Um, you just, you just kind of want to try to pretend it's not there. Some people say it's the denial disease because you really into places. Yes, I can go into that in a second. Um, first, though, the reason I started speaking out about it is because of Sonia. Um, and the reason she was on what's called TPN, so she was being fed by a tube that would go into her body, and that's how she would get her nutrition. She couldn't have anything by mouth, really. A little coffee, I think, and maybe some broth. And she was doing that and she was training and running half marathons, marathons. And one day she had seen or we had, she knew I was struggling and she had written my name along with many others who have Crohn's on her running shirt or it's not a shirt, but there's another name for it. And that Uh. really, really touched me. And, you know, her, her, Thing is, if we don't talk about it, there's not going to be a cure because we're not raising money if people don't know about it. So that is why I have talked about it more publicly the last, I don't know, four years or so. 
fewer than 2000 this is i just did a little quick search and let me see about the credibility seems credible um fewer than 200,000 cases per year in the united states alone that That's seems all? low to me that, that seems, seems very low. low very low um, the other the, Jenny, that, that's new cases each year. Well, so I was not diagnosed until um, middle of college, but I had had symptoms back in high school. This is another reason I am I strongly believe I need to speak out because I didn't tell anybody about the symptoms because who wants to talk about your colon, your intestine, your poop. Nobody wants to talk about that at that age, but there are so many kids that mm. are still doing that because it's not, it's not, not something that they still, that they feel comfortable talking about. I actually had a, a situation where I had a student who has it and um, it's very painful and I think other kids look at them in a different light and they have no idea everything that they're struggling with. So I've been trying to talk out more also so that kids are feeling comfortable about talking about it. So I can't find anything more current than 2016, but in 2016, several sources indicate that this affects 3 million people, which would be uh, 1%, correct? We have 333 yeah. million people. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that's how many people in the United States. But I have to believe, and, and part of this is through your experience, you know, you had a tough year where you basically lived in isolation just for protection of yourself. Yeah. I lived probably a total of a month and a half in a bedroom without contact with my family because I was so scared because I'm on a biologic now, or it was at that time in 2020. And those biologics, what it does is it shuts down my immune system. I have a hyperactive immune system. So mm -hmm. any little thing, my body will try and go and attack, but the medication tries to shut that down completely. So then the immune system couldn't fight something like COVID, or at least that was what was thought at the time. Um, I have gotten it two, definitely two times, possibly a third. Um, I've lived through it, through the COVID. Um, and I look back and, you know, the, the strides that we took, I guess, were based on what we had information at the time. And I actually during that first day in the bedroom, I actually just had to take myself and go back into our bedroom and we changed everything around because I was so stressed, my body was flaring. I had iritis, which is something that typically goes alongside with Crohn's. Um, and what that means is your iris and your eye swells and you have horrible, horrible light sensitivity. It's one of the most painful things to have. Um, and then the Crohn's flared. And then once I was able to try to continue life a little bit regular, I guess, things did calm down. 
but yeah, I spend a lot of time as many people who are on a biologic for whether it be MS or Crohn's, ulcerative colitis. I think you just said something that is so profound. As we look back, we were told, and you're right. I mean, it was all of the information and I can't think about the number of friends who told me, well, I, I got to get the shot or I got to be isolated because I have an immune system that's challenged. I have an autoimmune challenge. I have autoimmune disease, whatever the case may be. But you just shared with us, which I think is true in so many cases, that the stress of you contracting COVID, the stress itself was a bigger implication than if you had gotten COVID to begin with. Yes, sir. Yeah. That that was that Jenny. That has to be common all around the world, not just in Tremont, Illinois. I would think so. I guess I've never really asked other people, um, but yeah, we had tried steroids. Um, my mom even brought me essential oils that we tried. Um, I had tried everything to get rid of the iritis, and of course, at that time. I also, they didn't feel comfortable having me go and see the eye doctor because, sure. I mean, you're so close to the examining mechanism or whatever it is they use in there. Mm -hmm. So we did, I mean, typically, yeah, some steroid drops helps wipe it out and I'll get over it in about a week. No big deal. But I couldn't. My body was just too stressed from that being able to be with my family, not to be able to hug my family. I mean, it just kills me that there are so many people in the middle of this war right now and their families are separated. I just can't imagine having to go through that. It's roll route. Jenny Swigert is back. That means it's the first Thursday of the month. We the people week will day of the month. We'll be back with more after this. Give more details about the certified Piedmontese system on the web at LoneCreekCattleCode.com. It's all about getting the cattlemen more information and getting paid properly for the quality of beef that is produced. Certified Piedmontese. Full details, again, at LoneCreekCattleCode.com. Don't forget, April the 9th, the Piedmontese bull sale. Now, these are the sires that are going to go into the programs. And the night before, we always have a very festive, lively discussion this year, for the first time ever, Amanda Radke from Mitchell, South Dakota, will be joining me at the pre-party. It's not, it is a party. It's just a fellowship. Getting together. No isolation anymore. No social distancing. Show up. Broken Bow, Nebraska. Full details. LungCreekCattleCode.com. Welcome back. Roll route. Trent Lewis alongside Jenny Swagger. First Thursday of the month. Yes, and it is. she was about to tell the real story behind uh, the governor of Illinois, Pritzker. And I didn't want to do that off air, so I got to got back on air as soon as possible. <laughs> <laughs> I think, yeah, I mean, the laws were there for COVID, um, but I, I can't say that everyone was abiding by those laws. It looked as though yeah. we were. Except um, my funniest experience through the entire two-year process of COVID was, you know, that January of 2021, I had a um, Team Purebred board meeting in Peoria. Oh, that's right. And I came to Peoria, and we stayed at this little hotel, and there's a sports bar right next to it. 
And so after the meetings, we go to the sports bar. And because of Illinois restrictions, there was no seating in the building, but you could have outdoor seating. So the sports bar's got this little awning off to the side that they had enclosed. And there's 147 people piled up in a place that should maybe had 80 at the most. And (laughs) so I'm like, somehow this is okay. This makes no sense whatsoever. It made no sense. And I think that we did a lot of things here that maybe didn't make sense, but it did make life closer to normal than some other places. I mean, we had restaurants that were open for quite a while before Mm -hmm. they started being fined and all of that. Um, But I mean, the laws were there, but there's so many examples of where we, for whatever reason, just, you know, felt it, I guess, kind of the stress situation. Like, we knew that eventually we would have to get on with life. And I'm sure that there's places in Chicago that have always been very strict and abided by the laws and things. Um, But in central Illinois, I saw lots of examples of us not following through with that law. Well, it wasn't even a law. No, it's just a mandate or or a regulation, not a law. Pritzker's wants, that's what it was. Are you teaching now, still subbing? So I am, not very often. Um, We went through, I mean, (laughs) there were days where the poor, the gal that does all of the, getting all the subs lined up, um, like in one day, I think she had 10 people she had to fill spots for because we had covid we also had influenza and we had strep throat going through. Mm-hmm. But if you have symptoms, then you don't want to be there. So um, I was able to help out a lot. And now I'm here and there, yeah, about once a week. Um, health-wise, I don't feel the greatest. Um, I can push through it and definitely help out. If needed, um, I'll be doing early child care, um, special education, I think, next, um, which is a humbling experience. Just these are children who are nonverbal. Um, it's not teaching necessarily. It's learning how to direct them and using different mechanisms. Um we have one little boy who is mostly blind, but he can see color differences. So mm. he goes through some activities and things to pick out colors and stuff. But yeah, so I am here and there. Um, I will be having surgery in two and a half weeks. It comes soon enough and that will hope it won't get relief because it's, it's going to be hard at first, but, um, right. but it, it hopefully will give my body some time to calm down. Um, so back on the, the teacher thing. Yes. I've been in, um, four different high schools in the last 30 days and I was in the ag mm-hmm. school and every single time. And in fact, I met a 
young man this week put him on loose tails that's doing his student teaching in the york high school he's got a job lined up at skyler an ffa program but jenny i know this is your passion because you were just glowing last fall when you were substitute teaching in the ag class i could see it myself the state of nebraska alone is 37 ag teachers short of what the schools want to hire Wow, I didn't realize it was that bad. And and I think that that that's not just. I know that it's not just an ag school problem, uh, ag teacher problem. It's yeah. a school and teacher problem. I spend a lot of time, thanks to Dr. Fogarty, talking about the restructuring of the future of the medical world. In my mind, the restructuring of schools and teachers and how that all comes together. Because number one, teachers are have their hands tied. They can't teach. They have to do so many other things other than actually challenge and teach the kids life skills. And that was before it came along with all of the uh, medical mandates, which made no sense whatsoever. Right. Who is going to deal with the, the nonsense to be a teacher for our kids? I, I think we have to really take a step back and look at that. I'm not sure, but I do view my role as a substitute as a way to, I guess, have fun with the kids and I can maybe do a little extra stuff because I don't have to meet any of the standards that full-time teachers have to meet. So there's some, there's some things that I can do or I've, I feel like I've done that helps kids out. Um, you know, I can't say I I don't love necessarily the grade school atmosphere because it is a lot more work and it's the pay is under minimum wage. So if you are in the middle school or high school, it's usually a bit easier because everything is set up under Google Classroom and the students know what to do. And since I was in the school for eight weeks and I have my own kids, plus I don't know how many other cousins, nieces, Actually, just one niece there. Um, is it anyway. called the Swagger Public High School? Is that what it's <laughs> no, actually, probably Wagenbach. Oh, okay. Right. Um, no, I mean, we have very large families in our area, and our generation, the cousins, um, have been close, and we have added to the gene pool with <laughs> lots of boys. <laughs> You make it sound like a selective mating process. We've added to the gene pool. We've gone outside of the family tree. Well, he, I mean, he did. He went to the county over. Oh, my goodness. My sister-in-law, oh, wow. my one sister-in-law, my brother-in-law went three counties over to get. But my other sister-in-law, she's also from Tremont. But, yeah, no, I mean, it's before one of the kids, one of my kids started driving, there were eight Schweigert kids on the school bus, <laughs> which just, you know, that brings up, uh, that brings up a whole thought process that I've actually never explored. And that is how universities have changed the, uh, marital selection process. Because you think about it in, in my parents day, not probably, I don't know what the statistics were, but less than half went to a university. Most people got out of school. Yeah. Maybe they went into nursing or they went and got a job. So you married your high school sweetheart. 
now you marry somebody you meet in the university. For the most part, they're still high school sweethearts, no doubt about it. But yeah. the majority of pe- people you married in the university. So you get somebody that comes to the university. Let's go Illinois State comes from uh, Quincy and somebody else that comes from Urbana, Ohio. It, that changes the whole dynamics of family making. It does. It does. Um in many apostolic Christian churches and those populations. Um, there's other areas throughout the United States that also have large populations. My husband was raised in the apostolic church, but never joined the church. Um, my in-laws were the only um, ones in their generation that never joined the church. Mostly I think because the cows had to be milked, but um you know, there's large populations in Iowa. Um, I think it's the southwestern corner of Minnesota, Oregon, Ohio, Kansas, the middle of Kansas. Um, actually, I had a boss from Kansas, and one of the one of his daughter's friends, I think it was, um, actually married Just Cousin here. Um, I mean, there it's. It's a small world. It really is. And mm-hmm. and the largest dairy herd in the United States is a member of the Apostolic Christian Church in Minnesota, the Fair family. We'll take a break. Jenny Swigert, more roll. Second half of Roll Route. Just oh, ahead. boy. Yeah. I didn't know that. Oh, yeah. Fair family. They're up to, um, I think they're milking over 80,000 now. At one location, or is it No, still? they just bought a 30,000 cow operation in uh, Arizona, but the rest, most of their cows are around Morris, Minnesota. Welcome back. Roll route. Trent Loose alongside Jenny Swaggart here every Thursday, the first Thursday of the month. Yes, You've been sir. milking cows lately, Jenny? I have not been milking any cows lately. Been or... showing any cows lately? No, we haven't. I think usually we start in April. Um, I don't know what the plans are for showing in April. Um, of course, my kids are ready to go in Nightline, which is working through the night to help the people who are showing their animals. Um, he picks up the poop and makes sure that they don't lay in it and they stay all nice and clean. Yeah, because you dairy people don't tie them out at night. No, we do not. We do not. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know why. I think it's because we, I mean, if you're looking at the beef world and showing, I mean, how many animals typically does one family bring to show? Um, Probably two, three. Right. So one, like, string of dairy animals can be, like, ten animals that were brought. And so, you know, if it's especially a show day, I mean, that's 10, those are 10 animals you have to wash in the morning if they've been laying in their poop all night. And so my kids help stay up all night long and make sure that they're clean and wipe their butts and um, everything. Yeah, I'm still miffed at that whole Schweigert family anyway, sold that heifer out from underneath of me. I could have a brown uh, jersey. I could have a jersey that'd be... (laughs) Kicking keister right now, but nope, nope. Somebody had, came in with a bigger pocketbook. <laughs> I'm sorry. 
No, I'm she's kidding, done. She's yeah, I know. She's done really well. She would, um, I think, was the cow that the oldest showed. Oh, I get confused because we've got two good cows, or we've had two really good cows in the last year. But she won she the Heart got, of Illinois Fair last summer. Right. Yes. I think I'm getting her confused with another one. She also, I think that same one also won um, Adams County. So back in yep, your she did. roots. Your, yeah. How ironic. Um, she wins the county I grew up in. Yeah. And that was a total fluke that we've shown in Adams County. However, they're fair. <laughs> Holy cow. It has got a lot to offer. It's, I it's actually mighty. haven't been there for a lot of years. I was not able to be there, but I had pictures and video being sent to me constantly. And it's really a nice fair. There's a lot of people that go there. Mm -hmm. But all yeah, my so childhood that's... memories, all my fond childhood memories are at the Adams County Fair. Or at the McLean County Fair. I, I was there. And yep. I was there too. At McLean County? Absolutely. I've been there through the years. I have not been back. Um, it's been several years. I think it's been like seven years. I haven't been there. Mm -hmm. But um, we don't, I guess we did last year. We showed, one of the kids showed at the FFA show. But I think that was a first time deal that they had it mm -hmm. in conjunction with the county fair. But what we have here in our county is much different than what you might see in McLean or Adams County. Ours is very small, um, very family oriented. There's no carnival. There's no um, food trucks or whatever that you see in the carnival. It's not like Heart of Illinois Fair. Um, it's just people and families and doing activities like Oreo cookie contests. Um, they do chalk drawing contests things like that uh, the sherman county fair that's our fair now is uh very similar we have no carnival the there'll be a, a bouncy thing whatever you call those jumpy bouncy things for the kids the little kids oh and fun. often big kids like to get in them too but it's pretty much just a 4-h fair it's just a junior yeah. event there will be a cup well there's some horse events team pinning um, ranch sorting, things like that. And then the biggest draw, and it always irritates me, Jenny. Uh -oh. The biggest draw at the fair every year, Demolition Derby. People want to come and see somebody crash up their car more than they want to come and see a kid learn work ethic. My goodness, what's wrong with people? But there's work ethic that is built into that because the kid, True story. one of my best friends from college, she used to do demo derby um, in Hancock County, I believe, and another county, I think, together. And I went the last time that she, her husband would allow her to do it. Um, but there's work, I mean, that goes into getting those vehicles ready, and it's fun. It's something I've always wanted to do. It's on my bucket list. So, sorry. Yeah, well, I have a daughter who has a boyfriend who is into uh, keeping his demo car up, and he's also uh, drives a race car, stock car. So I've experienced a new world in the last year, thanks to a daughter who <laughs> has a fancy for the guy who likes to do that. 
Hey, you. you know, whatever makes them happy, right? No, not whatever makes them happy. <laughs> you can't say that <laughs> as a parent. No. <laughs> well, it's not my kid, so I can say that. Yeah. <laughs> oh, you're funny now. But yeah, demo well, derby, that's that's something that yeah, once I get healthy, that's something I want to do. You want to drive you, a demo car? Oh yeah. Yeah, I always have. When you are in these situations, I guess I'm going to kind of go backwards in the conversation, but when you are in these conversations or in these situations and I actually copied um an image. Let me find it here. Not now. What does it say? Okay, so there's a Dutch farmer in Ukraine who put a message on Twitter yesterday, our time, and it's things you think about when life is not normal. And he has a recording and he talks about, you know, what's going on. And the the trivial things, and we may have dreams, we may have goals, but you're not, when you're in a situation kind of like what they're in, or if you're in a health situation, I feel like there's more motivation to go and get those goals done once you are no longer in that situation. At least mm -hmm. that's been my personal <clears throat> experience. So yeah, I have lots of things that, heck, if I could right now, I there's a organization that's helping feed refugees on the border of Poland and Ukraine. And if I could go, I would go. Seeing refugees, um, the first time I went to Germany, I experienced that. I believe it was people from Syria, maybe. I don't know. I think it was the same situation where Russia was pressuring that country. I can't remember this. When we got off the train in Cologne, we walked out and there were all of these military women and men in riot gear. Um, and we were like, we've got to get out of this train station. We've got to do it now. And we walked outside of the train station and there was like three times the amount of police officers, military, all riot gear. Mm -hmm. And there was a protest going on. And we, I protest, mean, there was protests like foreign protests, like we would see on, um, countries in the past or we even saw with antifa and black lives matter here a year um, two year, three years ago i did not see anything violent we mm -hmm. only spent the day there actually i think we left as soon as we had gotten some food um just to get out of that environment i think there were 10 million refugees and there were some people who felt that they shouldn't be that germany should not be bringing in the refugees and I believe that's what the main reason Ooh, for the protest. I remember was. this. I remember this. And and following these refugees, there was a serious uptick in um, crimes, particularly crimes against women. Yes, and I I don't want to say this. What I remember, there was a group of people who had this like wagon. And it was talking about supporting Nazis. 
but I don't remember the details on why it was there or uh-huh. what, what those people were because we were kept away from that area. Right. What took you to Germany in that situation? That trip, I went for Bayer. Um, I'm trying to remember. That's a little ironic, actually. Well, we were, I believe on that one, we were going and touring one of their forward farms. Um, There's been several trips, not just for Bayer, so I get them kind of confused. But that was one um, where we were looking at, like, the different ways. In this particular case, they had an extravagant, awesome bee care center. Mm -hmm. um, And... Every like I love bees, but they were measuring like humidity, temperature, everything. They had all these probes in each area of the hives, um, and it. They were also experimenting to see if having like a windbreak would help decrease the amount of colony collapse. Um, I'm not explaining very well. No, I fully understand. <laughs> Um, they're trying to create, uh, it sounds to me like I, I'm, I'm not in tune, but what I heard you say was they're trying to create a drift barrier so that bees could be in an area where you still have crop protection because at the end of the day, you, you still have to have herbicides, uh, to protect your per- herbicides and pesticides to protect crop production. I mean, that's just essential. And yet we need bees because bees, uh, pollination, it produces 33% of the world's food supply. And so it makes sense right. that they would put in a barrier, uh, some sort of a drift barrier, to see how they could do that going forward. But, Jenny, I talked long enough now that I have to say we have one segment left. Roll route, James Target, Trent Loose. It's happening after this. And now we talk about immune health. We talk about health in general. The world's authority on nitric oxide production, Dr. Nathan Bryan, explains. We've got about 14 COVID clinics around the U.S. where we have a a nitric oxide drug trial going on. I'm exposed to COVID probably every day. You know, pre-COVID, we as humans are exposed to viruses and bacteria every day of our life. That's just the world we live in. Some people get sick, some people don't. Why do some people get sick and why do others not? It all boils down to their ability to generate nitric oxide and to have certain things replete in their body like vitamin D, zinc, vitamin C, selenium. If you're nutrient deficient, you're going to get sick. If you can't make nitric oxide, you're going to get sick. If you do all these things, you can be exposed to, to COVID or any other virus, and your immune system nips it in the bud, and you don't get sick from it. It's really that simple. We're going to change this ordering process up to make it simpler. Go to loosetailsmedia.com. Loosetailsmedia.com. There will be an order mechanism there, and if you want more of the science, I'll get that to you from Dr. Nathan Bryan. Loosetailsmedia.com. It's N-O-2-U. The the product's the same. The place you get it is different. Welcome back. Roll route. Trent Loose alongside Jenny Swaggart. Um, I think we should change course a bit, Jenny, although I'd like to talk about refugees. Maybe we'll come back to that. I'm assuming, knowing that, you know, my grandfather always told me that insurance is like flea collars. It only, they only work if you don't need them. Yeah, that's a, that's a I'm very assuming good... <laughs> with your experience now, um, too much in the medical world, that you're just loving what's going on in the insurance world. Seeing how you live closest to one of the largest insurance companies in the world right down the road. Sure. State Farm. Um 
is about a 50 minute drive from here, but they do not, I don't think they have to cover healthcare and healthcare insurance and home and auto are different. And I worked in home and auto for country, um, what used to be country companies for a few years, um, years ago. But health insurance right now, the reason I'm in the situation I am in with the Crohn's disease is because I went seven months without my Antivio infusions. The reason I went seven months without my infusions is at any turn, there would be issue. Like they would say, you haven't sent in your, and this is all to get assistance because the actual vial of medication costs like $6,000 or something crazy like that. Um, so to get payment, because obviously we don't have $6,000 to spend every six weeks, to get assistance, they had to have all of our tax records from like the last three years. And I had done that numerous times. And then they would say, no, we don't have it. Um, that was one, I guess, technique or way that they avoided allowing us to get the medication. They also, I guess most recently in the second half of 2021, um, it was, you need a prior authorization from your doctor. And I think my doctor had provided that three different times. Wow. Um, one, one thing that happened that I think, I mean, my doctor really went to bat for me, but one thing that happened in September and you're, when you're in these situations, you're on the phone all the time because you have to fight to get this medication. It's insane. But I had been on a conversation with a gal from this third party that works with the payment assistance. And I had sent her everything and we thought everything would be taken care of. Real nice gal. Well, come November, we still hadn't gotten the medication and it would look as though you were going to get the medication up until like a few days before your infusion. And then all of a sudden they can't ship it because of this or that or whatever. So in November, one of the calls that I made, I happened to get that same gal that I talked to back in September. That was so helpful. She was floored. She could not believe that everything had been, hadn't been resolved at that time. And I'm guessing she had something to do with getting things back on track because um, she was furious. Um, and now I've got, you know, her number. I have her email address. Um, everything that I sent in to her, we made sure that she responded and said, yes, this has been received. This has been inputted. So I have all that documentation. But even with all of that documentation, then they started with the prior authorization. Prior authorization. And so then my doctor had to fight for that. Um, we did have, once I did start back on the medication, which the first time I was on it, it takes six to nine months to start working. And by the time that I started, restarted it, I had so many autoimmune things going on in my body. Mm -hmm. I am on so many medications now to try to control all of that. I'm hoping that, I can start weaning off some of those after the surgery. Um, but the surgery is basically going to divert my system from the area that
that is so inflamed and then and allow that area to kind of calm down um, I think they're going to try to widen that area. As you get older, your intestinal lining thickens. So I have that going against me and then scar tissue because for a number of years, I did not um, believe in modern medicine. So I was treating with things like slip, slippery elm, aloe, drinking aloe all the time, um, trying all of these diets and things. When looking back, I wish I had just um, followed modern medicine and maybe I didn't, wouldn't have all the scar tissue that I have right now. Um, but so we've started the medication and we're basically just waiting for it to kick in. But the, because there was a COVID, there was two COVID situations where we had it in our home. I, so I couldn't go get my infusion. So there was a lapse in December, I believe it was. Um, but now I've had it consistently two times. So it could be another six months before it really starts completely working. So while I've not talked about this in particular with Dr. Fogarty, every single thing that I've asked him about what the hyperbaric chamber can do, he's like, oh, yeah, because it forces oxygen into your cells and it forces your body to heal. Has there been any discussion about getting you in a hyperbaric chamber? No, actually, I, I think I was planning on, cause he had mentioned that to me. I think it was in the fall. Um, but the whole insurance thing just kind of overtook everything. Um, but that I'm, I appreciate that reminder. I will ask and see. Well, I'm pretty confident, particularly in the state of Illinois, you, you're not going to get it by asking your medical doctor because in Illinois they are only going to grant that they will authorize hyperbaric chambers for wound care. That's it. Really? But if you if you have some specialized clinic or I don't know, I, I can help find one, but there should be one close. Well, I know where there's one in Illinois. Um, my sister gets in one every day and it's been amazing for her and she's now addicted to it. She won't take on a day without it. And, and for those that may not know, she's survived breast cancer twice, had some lingering effects from the results of that. And boom, it's just made her life much better. So I have wow. to believe that. It, I mean, you have nothing to lose, Jenny. It's it, only upside from finding a way to get in one. Yeah. And my doctor is actually very open to ideas. Which I would I actually really, really love like. to hear what your doctor has to say when you ask. I will. Ha I'm going to mes message him and see what yeah. he says. Yeah. Um, he's great. Because, I mean, Friday, I don't know if you caught this show, but um, we had this beautiful lady on who was diagnosed with MS in 2002. She's still dancing. She's just a ball of fire. After 20 years of MS, you show me one other person that has been diagnosed with MS and That's continues really to li live an uninhibited life. And it's because she she happens to be married to the guy who brought hyperbaric chambers to the world, Dr. Paul Harsh. But Juliet Hirsch is just a poster child for what it can do. And who would have thought that, you know, hyperbaric chamber would work on MS? But it is. I saw it personally. I watched her. That's amazing. That's great. I, and I think that the medical field, the medical professionals need to, once they've gotten past all of this COVID, 
they need to be more open to using not just modern medicine, but also using that with things um, like our hospital actually does a really good job. Like they'll give me essential oil patches. So in addition mm-hmm. to the nausea medicine, they'll give me like a winter green, I think is what it's called, patch that you put on. And it does help with part of the nausea. I think I cannot think what is the term for mixing both schools of thought. I can't think of what the hybridization. No. (laughs) (laughs) Oh wait, that's corn. My fault. Yeah. (laughs) Does your mom know anything about that? (laughs) Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, Um, yeah. I just think that we need to be more open-minded about, and that's. I think we've probably stepped back twenty years over the last two years in being open-minded about medical. But there are physicians who, like our, our pediatrician, after 20 years, he moved his family to Texas, not have to get the COVID injection. And he was the head of pediatrics. Great doctor. Mm. Amazing. Miss him so much. So well, you know the moral of the story. There. The moral of the story through every bit that we've talked about, and you have brought this and illuminated it very well, the insurance companies are a mess, and yet oh, you ridiculous. found one person that cared about you and wanted to find a way to be a solution. The medical system is a mess, and yet you found yeah. one person who cares about you and wants to make a difference. The institutions are not going to do anything for you, but it is people within those institutions yeah. that truly care about what it is, that they, why they signed up for it to begin with. It's to help people. And I wish I was – I don't know how much time we have left, but I wish I minute, was more – um, vocal about this because I thought it was just happening to me. And two weeks ago, I don't know if you remember Natalie. She's another gal that has Crohn's that we had on the show. It's been a while I, ago. I do. She um, wrote an article and people on Twitter were coming out of the woodwork. Like this is not just like, and it's not just me. It's like hundreds of people. Mm-hmm. My cousin's wife, for embryo, they can't get the embryo because of this reason or that reason or whatever. It's right. not isolated to just me. It's something needs to be done. Every cause needs a champion, and I appreciate you being a champion for Crohn's. Thank you. Actually, champion for improving lives, period. That's yeah. just where it ends. Okay. Thanks, Jenny. Thank you. Best of luck with your surgery. We'll talk soon. Thank you. Yeah. Everything will be done by the time I'm back on. Excellent. See you, April Fools. We've successfully journeyed down <laughs> the road connecting Roland. Er- That's no fooling. I'm serious. It's not that particular day, but it's that week. We've journeyed down the road connecting Roland Urban America. Both Jenny and myself remind you that all roads do lead to a roll route. Once again, let me remind you that Protect the Harvest lives in the trenches, making sure that you have access to information that will uh, arm yourself to be better at standing up for your own property rights. It is about the information we acquire. Let's take a look at what has been posted just this week alone on Protect the Harvest. Action alert. Utah Working Animal Act Enterprise Act is on the docket. From California, dog and cat bill writes a, a Trojan horse. Horse, ah, 
My favorite attorney, Michelle Pardo, wrote that particular piece. Swiss voters reject animal rights measures. That comes from Humane Watch, but it's all posted at protecttheharvest.com. Continuing to provide you ammunition to go stand up for the American experience. Get details. Oh, and there's the farm at Walnut Creek. A great video featured up on the website, www.protecttheharvest.com.